0: out of it if you don't do it. All right. Uh, so there's one way to look at it. But I encourage you to take some time with your families tonight or by yourself. Uh, spend a few minutes, go through the devotion, spend some time together as a family and just ask the Lord to help you uh, through it and prepare you for the week ahead. Uh, today we do have baptism and the Lord's Supper following the service towards the end portion. Uh, this Tuesday for the seniors ministry, uh, they're going to be going to the Waldensian Heritage Museum and the Trail of Faith and, and Valdez uh, North Carolina with lunch at 100 Main Street Restaurant. Uh, meet at the church at 8 o'clock. All right, it's a little bit different than normal. So, 8 o'clock that morning, so you can drive down there. Um, highly recommended. A uh, great opportunity for you to learn some good church history and some things. Some stuff that's pretty close by as well, so it'll be good. And then, as well, this Thursday, April 27th, the ladies' ministry are having supper and fellowship at Gondola Italian Restaurant in Mount Airy. Uh, sign up in the back, church. Uh, leaving the church at 5.30, sign up sheet on the back table so that way they know how many are coming. And then we've got uh, next weekend, Kimmy and I will be headed out for vacation. So next Sunday, uh, missionary A.J. James will be here to do Sunday school, uh, the worship service and the PM service, and then uh, missionary Walter Terrell will be here that Wednesday evening uh, for the Bible study. And just a reminder as well, continue to pray for J.L. Um, he is home, and he is doing well, but uh, does need continued prayer. So if you think about him, uh, pray for him and for his recovery. And thank you, Tony, for helping to fill in. And uh, y'all, uh, let's baptize some folks. How about that? This is a great time to praise the Lord. Uh, Miss Ann, come on down. It's a great opportunity for us to publicly be able to show and to share an identification with the Lord Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And this is a, a, an identity with not just Christ, but as well with the local church. And so we're thankful to have Miss Ann with us today. She's a little nervous. Y'all pray for her, all right? I ain't lost nobody yet in this water, all right? Not today, and I don't plan on it, all right? Miss Ann, are you trusting Jesus and Jesus alone for your salvation? Yes. Do you have anything you'd like to say? I'm nervous, no. (laughs) That's all right. We'll take it. Turn around this way. It's my privilege to baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Praise the Lord for that. And uh, I just want to share this as well. It's a special day, and moment for her, and uh, y'all pray for her. It is exciting. Miss Ann has been soaking things up like a sponge, and so praise God for her taking that step of faith today. Uh, I know she was nervous, but praise the Lord. Thank y'all for supporting her. Make sure y'all tell these folks today, too, how much uh, you're praying for them and supporting them. Tim, you come on down here, brother. And we've been thankful to have... Tim and Robin with us for a while now. They've been coming, and, and uh, we've enjoyed them being with us, and we think they've enjoyed being with us, too. And uh, so I'm excited to be able to baptize Brother Tim. Tim, are you trusting in Jesus and Jesus alone for your salvation? Yes. You got anything you'd like to say? Praise God. Praise God. We'll take it. Amen. All right, let's turn you around this way. Here, right. You're a little bit taller than her, so I'm going to have you yeah. squat down yeah. a little bit more. Right. We'll that nose of yours. In the name of the Father, it, it's my privilege, all right, Tim, here we go, I, he started slipping on here, it's my privilege to baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. <sighs> oh,
1: Amen. Wow. Yeah.
0: Praise the Lord. We didn't splash none. All right. Anybody else? Water's still wet and warm, kind of warm at least. All right. Well, I want to do this. I want to open us up in prayer. And then I'm going to go change clothes because I don't want to drip all over carpet everywhere in there. But uh, then Tony's going to come and lead uh, singing and those who are helping him out. And today, let's sing like Jesus is still alive and working and on the throne and saving souls and building his church. Let's just praise God for who he is today. And let's lift up our voices, lift up our hearts And let's prepare our hearts as well to praise him throughout the time as we hear the preaching of the word and we gather together as the church to partake of the Lord's Supper. Today, just the fact that we're meeting to see baptisms and to have the Lord's Supper, we're reminded of the gospel all throughout today. And maybe the gospel that drives our hearts, that motivates our hearts. Maybe the gospel that just is screened from the rooftops of our lives, that Jesus has came. He has died for our sins. He was buried. He rose in the third day, and he's coming again. He unites his church by his word, by his blood, by his spirit. He is building his church. He is protecting his church. God is at work at Victory Way. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this time. Grateful, uh, Lord, for this wonderful picture of being identified with the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. God, we come to you today, we just want to thank you that we can gather, we can worship you, we can adore you, we can sing. As we do so, Lord, help us to stand, help us to lift up our hearts and our voices to you humbly, and that we would desire nothing more than to glorify you through song, and as well, Lord, that we would glorify you as our hearts are humbled before you to hear the preaching of your word. God, we also ask that you would prepare our hearts for the Lord's table. God, that we would once more uh, see our identity with Christ and with the church. God, that we would... Uh, be drawn together as a church to, to pray, uh, to believe, to trust you. And, and, Lord, that you would continue to do what you said you'd do, Lord. You're building your church. You're protecting your church. And, God, build us today. Protect us today, God, from the enemy. Protect us from our own flesh. God, that today that we would be surrendered completely to you. Lord, that your word would penetrate our hearts. But, God, we ask that you would give us faith in our hearts to trust your word, to be obedient to your word. And, Lord, just to love you today more than we came in. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Number
1: 356.
2: Rejoice! Rejoice!
1: Can you hear me now? Okay. All right, we got a special now by Miss Cammie here. I sure appreciate Miss Cammie, don't y'all? All All right, y'all make her feel welcome.
2: I told Joe I wasn't going to tell on him, but I normally ask him not to pray for me on the mornings that I sing because the Lord always changes my song. So I had one last night, and I practiced it, and he said that he only prayed for me last night. Well, I woke up at 2 o'clock, and then I went back to sleep at 3. And then I texted him this morning while he was walking, and I said, did you pray for me? And he said, last night. And I said, did you pray for me this morning? And he said, no, not yet. And I was like, well, don't pray for me at night anymore either. So (laughs) Um, I was going to pick a low song just because I don't fully have a whole lot of range at the moment. So if it doesn't sound too good, just bear with it. It'll be okay.
1: man that was that was good Cammie. I'm I sure I'm glad for the, the precious blood of Jesus that's that's our only hope if you'll uh, if you'll join me in prayer now Father we we thank you for this day Lord we thank you for allowing us another day thank you for allowing us to gather in your house and to worship you Lord in other countries and other places they're not able to do so lord i thank you for your grace and your mercy allowing us to come together to worship you i i thank you for the souls that came today by obedience to get baptized lord lord we've mentioned jl now lord we just ask that you heal his body quickly and as smoothly as possible lord we pray for the preaching of your word lord that your glory and your honor be the be the the main focus today Lord thank you for coming to this world Lord thank you for taking the nails taking the cross all to make us right with you Father Lord we love you and we praise you in your name I pray amen all right if you'll stand one more time we're gonna sing one uh, more of a modern day hymn but a good one nevertheless Um, we all love singing the song we've sung it many times together and uh, as we sing the song and as the sermon gets ready to be preached may we behold our God may the the Lord rid rid us of all these distractions and may we just behold our God and focus on our holy God y'all sing with me
0: Welcome here. Take your Bible and turn with me now. As we continue to praise the Lord, by the way, I think we often get the misconception that preaching time is just the tag-along or that Preaching is The worship stops with preaching. No, it does not. We worship the Lord as the Word of God is proclaimed, whether it be through conversation, through reading, through prayer, through song, and the preaching of the Word. This is how we're going to behold the Lord anyways. If we don't open up this Bible, we'll never see who God is. We'll never know Him. We'll never follow Him. We'll never love Him. We'll never share Him. Outside of this book, we need the Word of God. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter number five this morning. Deuteronomy chapter number five. Last week we began a series looking at faithful foundations, looking at the heart and the home. As we have said for quite some time, you and I have watched from generation to generation. We have watched our world, specifically our nation, that we've known for so long become less and less Christian. Now, here's the thing. We've got to understand this. The Bible said it was going to happen. It did not say America. It said everywhere. We just happen to be a part of everywhere. We are watching what happens when we continue to sin, promote sin, tolerate sin. And I'm not just talking about the world. I'm talking about the church. We have left holiness and we have traded the word holiness and being holy or sanctified or any of those things. We've given it to the legalists. We should never have done so. God calls us to be holy from the inside out because it never goes from the outside in. Outside in is legalism, by the way. The inside out is what Christ does. Inside out is the Gospel and its power to change us to do what nothing else can do. We've sung and heard about the blood of Christ, and it is only by His shed blood that anyone can know Him, can be forgiven. Jesus came, He died, He shed His blood, not just for my sins, but because of my sin and because of His great love for me. And while I was still a sinner, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He was buried, He rose again the third day according to the Scripture, so that you and I, who put our trust in Him, can have assurance not just of a future salvation, but have power to live for Him today. To have our hearts right before Him. To have our hearts renewed before Him. But I would go further than that. To have our homes right before God and our homes renewed by God. Today we're going to look at what it means to learn and live the Word of God. We have a lot of big-headed Christians today. We know theological terms eight ways to Sunday, and I want you to know there's plenty of folks who know theological terms and church lingo who will still die and go to hell because they've never repented and trusted Christ. Knowing theology will not save you, only knowing Christ will. We must understand though, that the doctrines of the Bible and the theology of the Bible, it points to one person and one person only, and that is the person who works the Lord Jesus Christ. It points to the Gospel, and the Gospel is woven throughout. It leads us to not only learn something about God, but it learns us how to know Him. And we need some learning today on how to know Him. We don't simply know God here we must by faith know Him here because then is the difference between heaven and hell. There's the difference between having your heart right with God and there's the difference between seeing a generation saved or not or lost again to the wind like the previous. The difference between having your heart and your home right could be the very eternal difference of our children and grandchildren. It is the very difference of The direction of our church and our communities. It begins with every individual in this room today. Where is your heart? Are you learning and living the Word of God? Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 1 through 6 today. Moses called all Israel and said unto them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and judgments which I speak in your ears this day that ye may learn them and keep them and do them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us in Horeb. The Lord made not this covenant with our fathers, but with us, even us who are all of us here alive this day. The Lord talked with you face to face in the mountain, out of the midst of the fire. I stood between the Lord and you at that time to show you the word of the Lord. For you were afraid by reason of the fire and went out up into the mount saying, I am the Lord thy God which brought thee out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Let us pray. Lord, we come to You. We want to thank You for Your Word. God, we thank You for the things that You've done already just to build your church, to protect your church, the way in which you are already preparing the ground, the soil of every heart. God, I pray that we will prepare our heart as well, God, to receive your word now by faith, including myself. Lord, we need you today. God, I pray that you would preach and teach your word to your people. Lord, I have no power in my own. I have no ability to change hearts today. God, we need you today to move by the power of your Holy Spirit through the preaching of your word. God, that you would show us Christ, that we would be obedient by faith, that you would change us from the inside out, God. Give us what we need today, Lord. Guard us, guide us, and protect us. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to notice something. Verse number 6, you notice how it ends. God delivered them from the house of bondage. Some of our homes right now are in bondage. In bondage to addiction, in bondage to sin, in bondage to religion, in bondage to debt, in bondage to a multitude of things. The only way out of bondage today, regardless of where you are at or whatever binds you, is Christ alone. It is to look to the Word of God and to see who He is and to turn and trust Him by faith. Outside of that, you will remain in bondage. You see, to be bound to Christ is freedom. We've got to see that. In order to have our homes in order, we've got to have our hearts in order. We must by faith have not merely just a yearning for God, but a yielding to God. Day by day, moment by moment. I'm afraid that you and I like the gas pedal spiritually far too much than we do the yield sign to God. We need to yield every portion of our life, every second, every breath to God. It belongs unto Him. You see, without a yearning for God and a yielding to God, we will find that we're not going to be so obedient to God. As a matter of fact, there is no full obedience to God without a yearning and a yielding to Him. Partial obedience is not obedience. It's disobedience. You say, well, what if it's just delayed obedience? Well, I would rather you delay and obey, but I'll tell you this. Let me ask you this, because I know I was on the receiving end when I was a child. My parents would ask me, child of ours, offspring so dear and near to our hearts, did your parents ever address you like that? Mine didn't either. <laughs> Boy, here, <laughs> come here. Take out the trash. Right right now? I will. I will. Let me finish this video game. Let me finish this. Th- I will. Okay. And then I don't, and then I don't, and then I don't. And then I do with a huff and a puff, and I blow the house down, right? I obeyed. But was it right? You see, parents, I would say this to all of us today. You and I like the method of obedience where we count. I'm gonna count. I, I'll count. I was the kid that said count because I know if you make it to two and a half, I can still got time to stop. Right? God does not deserve us waiting till He counts to three. God deserves immediate in complete obedience to His Word. We have delayed our growth spiritually because we have delayed our obedience. We have delayed our children and our children's children spiritually because we have delayed our obedience. When we look at this, sort of fitting, this dear brother went to be with the Lord this past week. Charles Stanley once said, yieldedness is vital to listening to what He has to say. Before I preach the next few points, and before we take the Lord's Supper, let me go ahead and ask you, and let's ask our hearts even right now, are we right now, before we hear another sentence of this sermon, yielded to God's Word? Meaning, are we actually here to hear what the Word has to say or not? Are we yielded to what God has to say and not merely what some of what He has to say, but all of what He has to say about all of our life? Every portion of our life. God has given us His orders, but we must give Him our obedience. Now, when we come to a passage like this, I want us to first of all understand there are some folks out there who get all sorts of in a fuss because we might preach from Deuteronomy 5, which is about to retell the law that was given in Mount Sinai, what you and I would call the Ten Commandments, uh, the, the Decalogue. It is the giving of the Ten Commandments here in the following verses. We'll get into that another time, Lord willing. But here in the first six verses, we have the setup for it. But I want us to understand some things. Before we get to chapter 5 of the retelling of the law, we've got chapters 1 through 4, which is nothing but grace. We've got even at the beginning, before we even get to verse 7, which says, Thou shalt have no other gods before me, we've got six verses of God's grace retelling about He had delivered them from bondage. Let's work our way backwards. Let's see who God is and what He's done. He delivered them from the house of bondage. He is not just the Lord. He is their God. He is the one who has uh, spoken to them out of the, the, the very breath of His fire that consumed the mountain. Our God is a consuming fire. And their fear towards Him, He had Moses be a mediator, pointing to Christ, the greater mediator, on our behalf. He made a covenant. He kept the covenant. And He has given us His Word. If you look at just the law, then you miss out on the grace. The law giving is the grace of God in the first place. That God declares who He is and what He expects, what He requires. We find that here the grace of God and the very law of God is gracious because it tells us the heart of who God is. It shows us the beauty of His perfections. It shows us a multitude of things that you and I need. We cannot follow the many popular preachers today who say that we need to unhitch from the Old Testament. My friends, Jesus preached the Old Testament. The New Testament preaches and reveals what was concealed in the Old Testament. We need the whole counsel of the Word of God. Not the parts we like. Now when we think about this, grace comes before the law. Grace gives the law. Grace is the motivation to obey the Lord our God. The reason why we should obey God is not merely because He gave us command, it's because He gave us His grace. Think about this. Some folks will get hung up here and they'll say, well, the law is for the Jew only. The law was given to the Jew, but I want you to understand, you and I have never once been under the ceremonial or the civil laws and praise God because if not we wouldn't be dressed how we are Whatever you, you wouldn't have had a sausage biscuit for breakfast this morning Dr. Bowen used to say all the time in class class did you know that our Lord never got to have a Bojangles sausage biscuit I'm hoping one day marriage supper of the Lamb Bojangles I don't know it's at least going to be Chick-fil-A and Krispy Kreme that's what I'm holding up for <sighs> The law is one, yet three distinct parts. There's the civil and the ceremonial law. This is the law that was given to how they should deal with crimes. Notice this, we don't do this. If someone commits murder, we don't stone them, do we? Why? Because we're not under this civil law. How about the ceremonial law? Did any of you guys bring on the back of your Chevy this morning a goat to sacrifice? No? No? Now, did any of you guys do ceremonial cleansings before you came in here? Hopefully you washed yourself, put on deodorant, brushed your teeth. But that's not ceremonial cleansing, is it? You say, if we're under grace and not the law, and we are, by the way, is the law even for us? Is there a point to it? Do we even need to preach it or go over it or rehearse it or apply it to our life? You bet. There is a third aspect of the law called the moral part of the law. Here we find how we are to conduct ourselves before God and before man. You say, I'm praise the Lord. I was born not under this law. And I was born under grace. But I want you to know this. You can be born under the law, born under grace, but you had better be born again. It does not matter if you are Jew, Gentile, or you identify as something else in between. You are either lost or you are saved in the eyes of God at this point. You are either in Christ or not in Christ. You are either identified with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, or you are on your way to hell. There is no other in between. As a matter of fact, the, Old, the New Testament tells us, Romans chapter 7, verse 12, Paul in chapter 7 who's saying, I know these good things and the good that I'm supposed to do and the right things I'm supposed to do, and yet I fight this flesh daily. And we do, don't we? Now that sets up wonderfully for, uh, of course, chapter 8, verse 1, right? There's therefore now no condemnation. Now we like that part, but it's to those who are in Christ Jesus who walk after the Spirit. And then it goes continue to tell us about the Spirit-filled, Spirit-led life. That's what our life is supposed to look like. Often we live, though, in chapter 7 because we place ourselves under the law and we forget about grace, but we have got to understand this. We'll never obey what God has commanded outside of God's grace, outside of God's provision. But in Romans chapter 7, verse 12, Paul says, Wherefore the law is holy? You and I say, Well, of course it is. And the commandment, holy, you'd say, Well, of course it is. He says, And just and good. The Old Testament is good. This is Law, this chapter 5 of Deuteronomy, it is good for our soul. Why? It points us to Christ. Turn with me for a moment. Galatians chapter 2. Hold your place there in Deuteronomy. We're going to be back there. I got three points still yet to go. I told you it's going to be a longer. That's all right. We ain't worried about it. Galatians 2 tells us this. I want us to understand the relationship of the law with us today. Galatians chapter 2, verse 16 through 21. So do not get this mistaken. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law. Meaning this, I don't care if you try to keep all ten commandments that we'll go over eventually. One, you can't keep them. And two, even if you did, you would still die without Christ. You need the blood of Jesus applied to your account. The only one that has ever fulfilled and obeyed the law perfectly did so on our behalf. His name is Jesus the God-man. He would not sin and could not sin and He perfectly obeyed what you and I have utterly rejected. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. It does not matter. Once again, Jew, Gentile, anything in between, you will not be saved by keeping the law because, one, you can't keep it, won't keep it, and, simply because, Christ has come and died, and if you can be saved by your own works, then Jesus died in vain. My friends, He didn't die in vain. Jesus has a made His blood and the atonement available so that redemption can be applied to those who put their trust in Him. But if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, as therefore Christ the minister of sin, God forbid. For if I build again the things which I destroy, I make myself a transgressor. For I, through the law, am dead to the law, that I might live unto God. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness comes by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. How about chapter 3, verse 10? For as many as are the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continually with not, in all the things that are written in the book of the law to do them. Meaning this, You disobey the law, you are under a Curse. Notice the rest. But no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident for the just shall live by faith. We're saved by faith, kept by faith, and not faith in us keeping the law, but rather our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and His work alone. And the law is not a faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for it is written, cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. That the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. You go on down a little further in chapter 3. and He shows us clearly our relationship to the law now. Wherefore then serveth the law, You might be asking that this morning. Well, then what's the point of Deuteronomy 5 for us this morning, Pastor? It was added because of the transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made that it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. Now, a mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. May it never be. For there had been a law given which could have given life. Verily, righteousness should have been by the law. But the Scripture hath concluded all under sin. So whether you want to say all are under the law or not under the law, that's fine. Have your your little way. Have your arguments. The Bible's clear. We are all under sin. Therefore, we must find ourselves under Christ. He says, God forbid... For if there had been a law given which could have been life, verily righteous should have been by the law. But the scripture that concluded all under sin that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. their salvation. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto faith which afterwards would be revealed. Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith, not by works. But after that faith is come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster, for you are all the children of God, by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you're all one in Christ Jesus. And if you be Christ, then you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Psalm 119.97 says, Oh, how I love thy law. Do you love the word of God? We like the comforting things of the Bible, but do we like the commands that God gives? Turn back with me to Deuteronomy 5. As you see, as we look at the law, we look at our relationship to it, we look at what God desires for us to do, to learn and to live the very Word of God. The law shows me my heart of sin, but it shows the heart of my Savior he perfectly obeyed what i could never keep that he died to free me from the curse of the law that i was under the law so that now no longer no longer is pastor joe under the law under grace no longer is he under the bondage of sin but now i am forever bound to jesus christ and there is no more freedom than being bound to him some of us think being shackled to jesus is a bad thing I want you to know it's a whole lot better than being a slave to sin of which we once were. Jesus is a good and a kind Master. You know why? It's because He's much more than a kind and a good Master. He is a faithful friend. He is our elder brother. He is our mediator, seated at the right hand of God. He is the One who is prophet, priest, and King for us. Today, what I want us to see is we learn and live the Word of God is we need to understand God's total ownership of our hearts and homes. Some of us, we like God to have a portion of our life, and we think we're doing something. It is all or nothing with the Lord. You are, are you ha- Let me ask you, are you saved today? Are you halfway saved? Are you all the way saved? So therefore, are you halfway Christ's or all the way His? I'm all the way we had better be all the way in obedience. We had better see the all the way. He owns us. We belong to Him. And the reason why we don't like Him owning us or the thought of a total ownership of God owning every part of our life, every dollar, every breath, is because we don't want to surrender to Him being God all the way. Look at this. Here in Deuteronomy chapter 5, Notice the first reason why he has total ownership over us. Let's read a few words as to why. The Lord, our God, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord thy God. There is no other need to argue about ownership. Either he is Lord or he's not Lord. Either he is Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. He is the Lord. Singular. There is not plural. There there is no other lords who are trying to get on His throne or uh, can ever get to His level. He alone is God alone. And because He is that, it tells me something about myself. I am not God. I am not Lord. Therefore, either I serve Thee, Lord, or I'm going to be in a mess. You and I have settled for Christ to be a part of our life. He owns all of our life. I own nothing. You know how I know? We paid off our truck. Praise the Lord. Lord provided. We were able to pay it off a couple years ago. Got the title. That's exciting, isn't it? How many of y'all had that, right? It's nice. And I still pay personal property taxes on it. So you think you own anything? No. Let me ask you this. How about that breath in your lungs right now? It feels good to breathe. Everybody give a... (sighs) You guys are very good at participating today. We like that. That's good. Carry it on next week too. That wasn't your breath. It wasn't mine. Here, Israel, as this is being given to them once more, they are reminded, you belong to me, says the Lord. You're mine. Now you and I think, well, who does He think He is? He's the one we just sang about. The one who needs no one to teach Him, to help Him, correct Him. He is God upon the throne of the universe. a matter of fact, you know another reason why He owns them beyond the fact that He is the Lord? He bought them. He bought them because He brought them out of bondage. Therefore, He owns them. But notice this about His Lordship. It's providential. He made the covenant. He kept the covenant with Israel, resting it upon His character, not theirs. If God's covenant with Israel was dependent upon Israel, Israel's covenant would have been, and they would have been cut off like that. You know why? Soon after Exodus, when God comes down upon the mountain and He gives them the law the very first time, Just a couple days later, while Moses is still up there, you know what they start doing? Breaking every commandment that he just gave. Every one of them. That would have been a pretty quick covenant. That would have been a pretty quick Bible, wouldn't it? It would be a quick movie. End of story. They sinned. God struck them. They're dead. Gone. God would have been just in doing so. This is why you and I have got to understand that the requirements that God gives to His people are gracious requirements. Notice, not only is He providential in this way, but their blessings, they were given by God, but they did, however, rest upon their obedience to the Word. There is a theme throughout the Old Testament of blessing and cursing. There are those who obey the Lord, obey His Word, obey the commands of the covenant, and they are blessed by God. You know why? Because God said He would bless them. Not because they earned favor, but because He gave favor already. He said, You're my people who I've called out, and I've given my commandment, kept my commandment, kept my covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I gave you the the law. I gave you these words. I give you the blessing. You've never earned God's blessing. Any blessing God gives, it's by His grace. The very breath we just took a moment ago together is a blessing of His grace. How about this? He spoke to them. No other gods ever spoke to anybody. As a matter of fact, we'll go back a chapter and he talks about the other gods and goddesses of the world. He said they're made out of wood. They've got hands, but they can't, they can't move. They've got eyes that can't see. They've got mouths that can't speak. They've got ears that can't hear. I am the Lord. There is none other. He delivered them whereas they could not deliver themselves, nor could any other god or goddess or any other people could deliver them. Who is Israel that they could deliver themselves? They were weak and small. They weren't even a a people with their own land. They were in Egypt in captivity, and God delivered them by the providence of His hand, by the grace of His love for His people. But notice this. God is the Lord. He's not just providential some sort of big man upstairs. No, no. He is the providential God, but He is the personal God. Notice it says, not only the Lord, but it's the Lord our God. The Lord thy God. He is my Lord and God. There is no other. Therefore, that's why the immediate response in verse 7 is, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. If He alone is God alone, then He had better be the only God of our life. He is the Lord, our God, then we had better obey like it is. Either we obey Him as Him being the Lord, or we don't. And our hearts, our homes, are ravaged at the fact that we refuse to obey the Lord. You say, well, I, I can't keep it perfectly. That does not give you the excuse to shuck it away. Rather, it's the motivation for you to point to Christ. To look to Him by faith. And to understand that by being justified by faith alone in Christ alone, now Jesus' perfect obedience has been applied to your account. Amen. Furthermore, about God's ownership. Notice it was His Word that was given. It was His work that delivered them. It was His will to bring them out of Egypt and to give them a land flowing with milk and honey. It was His way. You see, you might, let me take you back a little bit further. I remember hearing this from my parents. Maybe you he heard this from your parents. Did you ever hear something like this? It's my way or the... So y'all have heard that before? Some of you parents might have said it this morning on the way to church. And you had every right to do so, by the way. You did? You know why? You're the parent! Praise God you had the right to do so. The same way God has the right to do so with us. It's either His way or it's the wrong way. And there is no other way that we should even consider. His covenant people, the people of faith, belong to Him. We own nothing. God's grace gave them the law. God's grace gave them their land, was giving them their land in the process of this. He was the one that gave them their very life and He's done the same for us today. Watchman Nee said this, the right attitude is this, that I have my own will, yet I will the will of God. God being the owner of our life does not take away your responsibility nor does it take away your will. Rather, it is a command, a call, to surrender your will to His. You and I have never had a mountain experience where the Lord consumed it and then gave His Word. You and I have something better than that. This is greater. This is the full, complete, inspired, infallible, errant, preserved, and sufficient Word of God. God has spoken. But many of us will close it up until next sunday the reason why we're not familiar with obedience it's because we're not familiar with the very simplest of things obeying by getting in the word by knowing our god the first step's of faithful obedience is surrendering your thought of having your own rights to anything before the god who bought you with his blood who are we that we could bargain with his word Who are we that we think we could change the things that we should obey Him or not obey Him in? The things that are applicable or not applicable any longer. It's His Word. Notice, it has been said, Andrew Murray, just as a servant knows that he must first obey his Master in all things, so the surrender to an implicit and unquestionable obedience must become the essential characteristic of our lives. God is not in the heavens counting One, two, two and a half. He desires immediate obedience. He deserves immediate obedience. In fact, there's a whole book of the Bible Named after the guy who ran from God. And he kept going and going. You say, well, he, got, he finally got there to Nineveh and he preached as just a late obedience preacher. That might be fine, but it was disobedience to start. Disobedience is a thing that delays our use for God. Disobedience is what delays our generations from knowing God. Disobedience is what has delayed us to where we are, to where now we are so delayed, we don't know the God that we're supposed to know. I want to tell you what you have a right to today. Because you do have a right. If you got arrested today, the they will tell you your rights. Right? Here's your right you have the right to surrender the ownership of your life. And that's it. That's it. After that, you got the right to remain silent. Anything you say, you can do. Right? Notice this. We see God's total ownership of our life. Israel belonged to Him. Moses belonged to Him. The mountain belonged to Him. The land belonged to Him. The law belonged to Him. You and I, we are owned by Christ. <clears throat> we are owned by grace I want us to see the second thing though and that's a total obedience notice in verse number 1 he says unto all Israel, hear O Israel the statutes and the judgments he combines them together, these are the ways of which they are to live before God before his face and before one another I want you to know, there's many folks who would like to take the Ten Commandments and say, well, the first four are our relationship to God and the last six are our relationship to others. I want you to know, every one of those is your relationship to God. To not obey mother and father is to disobey God. To lust after someone who's not your spouse is to sin against God first. For every sin is against God first and foremost. So you must see that the relationship is not merely split up and going, These four are for God, and these six are for others, and if we get along, we'll do okay. No. There's four steps to faithful obedience. And these four steps apply to us today. Hear the word. The idea of the word in Hebrew here for the word hear is that it was not merely just to hear what is said, but to hear with the intent to do what has been said. Many of us come to church and we hear the Bible. Many of us read the Bible and we hear it. I want you to know, here's what I would say today. Many of us, we hear, we don't listen. We hear, but we don't listen. Listening to the Word of God has the expectation of desiring to live the Word. So when he says, Hear, o Israel, the statue of the judgment, which I speak into your ears this day, it is, listen up, because what God is saying, it matters. And you'd better do something with it. And as a matter of fact, the only one in your life that can do anything with the Word of God in your life is you choosing to obey God by the power of His Holy Spirit. That's it. Outside of that, all we will do in our flesh is disobey God. Our flesh only wants to disobey God. Our flesh doesn't kind of like God on some days and other days not. Our flesh only lives for our flesh. This is why today we must hear being yearning for the Word and yield it to the Word before we walk into these doors or else all you will do is hear another sermon that will not change your life. And I know this, and I'll be the first one to say this, not all my sermons are home runs. Today, I might be getting hit by a pitch and walking a first. But when this Word is opened, you'd better hear not just with these ears. We'd better hear with a heart of faith to live it out. To hear is the command with the intent to obey. You can hear without listening, but listening wants to live it. The second thing we find in this verse He says you need to hear the Word, but then He says you need to learn the Word. Hear the Word that ye may learn it. You and I have learned a lot about God in our minds, but we need to learn about God in our hearts by faith. We need to trust God in His Word. To trust God is to know God. It's to love Him. It's to obey Him. Trust and obey, for there's no other That's right, you've sung it before, and yet we sing it as if it is meaningless. It means everything to our Christian life. We'll never trust or obey without faith. I want you to know my faith is very weak. That's why my faith has got to be in the Lord. My faith cannot look to my works or my past experiences. It cannot look to those around me. It must look to who Christ is. We can't live what we don't learn. Plain and simple. The Word must be learned, it must be taught, it must be caught by faith. Alan Redpath said the condition of an enlightened mind is a surrendered heart. You and I need just that today. Learning leads to living. Orthodoxy then to orthopraxy our position then our practice. Our doctrine, and whether we believe it or not by faith, will determine the direction of our hearts and our homes. And we have set up our hearts for failure and our homes for failure. We tell our children, trust your heart, trust your gut, wish upon a star. Don't do none of those things. Teach them to know the God of the Bible by getting them in the Bible but you'll never teach another to get in the Bible to live it out if you yourself are not learning and living your life inside of the parameters of this book. Furthermore, we see that obedience is not only seen in the head, in the heart, but then it does lead to the hands. Look at this. He says, not only that you may hear them and that you may learn them, but that you would keep them. To keep as I did to watch, to keep, to preserve. Psalm 119.11, Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against Thee. We often know about the Word, but let me ask you, do we keep it? Do we keep it watching it in our heart? Is it our delight day and night? Is it not just a part of our life, but is it our very breath of life? Is it everything for us? Which one could you go longer Without, could you go longer without reading your Bible or longer without food? It sounds simple. It sounds even foolish. I want you to know, we should never think that we can go on and on in our life without learning and living this Word. This is our bread. This is our water. This is everything for us. We need this book because it is the breath of God in our life. But then He says, and do them. That we've seen already in James last week to not be a hearer only, but to be a doer of the word. Here's the issue. Many of us do the word, but we do so out of obligation and not obedience. We do the word by throwing ourselves back under the law instead of seeing ourselves under grace. Grace obeys because it loves the God who saved them by grace. We obey because we are loved by the God who now owns us and desires to use us and to live in us and through us and for us. God's Word must be learned and lived by grace through faith in Christ. Faith and love move God's Word from our mind, from our head, down to our heart, and then moves our hands to action. Your flesh might stir up emotions. Your flesh might stir your hands to work. But if it's a work not being done from the inside out, then it's the wrong kind of work. We need the work of the Word of God in our life to be learned and then to be lived. It's been said that love is not just a sentiment. Love is a great controlling passion and always expresses itself in terms of obedience. All of us this morning would say, I love God. The life of our obedience will determine that. We can profess with our lips like Israel does later on in their history how much they love the Lord, but when there is no obedience, there is no love for the Lord. As a matter of fact, one can never obey the Lord until they love the Lord. One can never love the Lord until they know the Lord. And the only reason why we can know the Lord is because we have seen the precious blood of Jesus Christ now applied to our life by grace Through faith. Outside of that, we will not know Him. We will not love Him. We will not obey Him. And many of us say, I want to obey the Lord. But do we want to obey the Lord because we want to feel good about ourselves spiritually or because we want to honor the One who has saved us? Are we wanting to obey so that way God doesn't bop us on the head or because we love the God of grace? Obedience is not to be an obligation Rather, obedience is an opportunity to express an attitude of love and gratitude for the work of God's grace in our life. Grace has freed us to obey the Lord. Lastly, I want us to see this. In this passage, we find that there is a total order of what our life should look like. Hear the Word. Learn the Word. Keep the Word. Do the Word. Why? Because the Lord has spoken. The Lord, as a matter of fact, has given us a greater covenant. We are under the new covenant that we're going to celebrate today with the Lord's Supper. Jesus said, this is my covenant. This is the new covenant. My body, my blood. Today, we are who have trusted in Jesus, are in Christ. And as we prepare our hearts here in a few moments to partake, I want you to understand this, that before you partake, is your heart in order before God? And let's go a little bit further. You say, well, my heart is right before God. That's wonderful. Let me ask you, is your home in order before God? You say, well, I know mine is. We're in church today, so that's good. Is your family in Christ? If they're in Christ, they'll be in church. But being in Christ comes first. It must. Without that, there is only dead religion. There is only dead works. There is only destruction in the end. There is only the wrong foundation as we talked about last week. Now an orderly home is the fruit of obedient hearts. I'm not talking orderly as in your your carpet is clean and there's not that one section of the countertop in the kitchen or the dining room table where you put everything. We've all got that, don't we? To have your home in order it means to have your home in order. That dad and the husband loves his wife as Christ loved the church. It teaches and trains his children to know Christ. and To honor their mother and their father and the Lord their God through the Word of God by the power of the Spirit. And that mama trains and teaches these young children what it means to, to be the bride, to take care of the home, and, and to love the husband, and to submit to his authority to lead the home. But I want you to know the issue of why we don't have our homes in order is because we've got hearts that are not right with God, they're not in order with God. We've got husbands that are leading by the flesh, and that's wrong. We've got wives that are not, uh, the, the, we find that they're not together. This is everywhere. And instead of accepting this as normal, it should break our hearts that we have not learned and lived the Word of God and we've settled for disobedience because that's what we've done. We've taught our children that their only order in their life or in their home or in their heart is whatever makes them feel good. And that's not going to cut it when they see Christ face to face. The heart and the home are to be ordered by God to know Him, to obey Him. Notice this. Verses 1-4 through and in verse 6, God gives a message to His people. Hear, O Israel, the statutes, the judgments which I speak in your ears this day that you may learn them and keep them and do them. The Lord our God, He made a covenant with us in Horeb. The Lord made not this covenant with our fathers, but with us, meaning this. Our fathers died in the wilderness. Why? Because they disobeyed God. We were here. We remember this day. He's saying obedience to God doesn't just matter to the generations before us. This is our faith. What we have done, though, and by the droves, well, that's mom and dad's faith. That's grandma and grandpa's faith. And until it becomes their faith, until it becomes your faith, it will mean nothing to you. It must be your faith. There must be a time in your life where you repent of your sin and trust Christ, or else all you have is empty religion until you're 18, you leave this world or, you, or wherever you are now, you'll continue to live your life as you see fit, and it's not how God sees fit. God's grace gives us His word here, and He shows how He had spoke to them, spake to them, speaks to them. The Lord talked with you face to face. Meaning open communication in the mountain of the midst of the fire. Back in Exodus, you can read all about it. Moses says, I stood between the Lord and you at that time. Verse 6, I am the Lord thy God who brought you out. The message that God's grace gives us His word. But God's grace as well gives us the strength through Christ Jesus in us and for us to obey Him. We think of salvation merely being Jesus for us. I want you to know the rest of our Christian life is Jesus in us. It is Christ in us and for us and through us so that we may freely by God's grace obey the Lord and know Him. The second thing that we find that He gives for the order of what our life should be, it is a surrender to the message of God. That's His Word. But it must be a surrender to His mediator. Moses is not my mediator. Joshua is not my mediator. The Apostle Paul is not our mediator. Jesus Christ is our mediator. Christ is the mediator of a greater covenant through His body and blood. Christ has obeyed and fulfilled the law on our behalf so that we may now freely go to the throne of grace. So that you and I may now freely proclaim our identity with Christ through baptism in the Lord's Supper. And we do so till He returns. That we now may freely identify with our mediator and with His message, the Gospel, His death, His burial, His resurrection, and His future coming. And that future could be today. The issue of our hearts is not so much that we have not learned God here, is that we have not learned Him here and lived Him here. It is time that we learn and live the Word of God. It has been said you can only learn what obedience is by obeying. We must learn and live the Word of God by grace through faith in Christ. As we're preparing our hearts here in a moment for time of invitation, and then we'll have the time of the Lord's Supper, I want to ask you this morning, is your heart yielded to the ownership of God? I'm not talking God's got 80% of you. God wants all of you. God deserves all of you. And as a matter of fact, when He gets all of us, God can use us much more than what we realize. It has been said that we are to give our lives to the Lord because He can do much more with our life than what we can, and it's absolutely true. Is your heart yielded to the ownership of God? How about your home? Does God have your home? Does He have your home on a Sunday morning like He does on a Tuesday evening? Does He still capture your attention come Thursday when nobody else is around and you've had a long work week and you're ready for Friday? Does He still have your attention and your obedience when life Is hard. Are we obeying out of obligation? Are we obeying the Lord by grace and love for who He is and what He's done for us? We don't need Christian robots that are obligated to the Lord. We need our will yielded to Him out of a love for Him of his grace for us, we must learn and love and live the Word of God. But The choice is ours, the choice is yours today. Let's all stand. Miss Joan is going to come and play, and we're going to have a time of invitation. This altar's open. As we prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper, let me ask you this as this piano plays and we get to come forward and have this time. Is your heart in order before God? Is your heart yielded to His ownership today? How about your home? Maybe there's someone in your home who's not knowing Christ, who doesn't know the Lord. Would you come and would you pray for Him? Maybe someone in your family that doesn't know Christ. Would you come, would you pray that they might have their heart in order before God? Would you come and yield yourself a